You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Really excited about uh, these baptisms. I really feel like I was in trouble with the Lord over the lack of baptizing people in water because it's it's um it's not just um, a practice the church should do. It's actually an it's it's something that can actually change your life. There's a spiritual dynamic to it uh, that's so essential. Um, actually, I was talking with Andy. Andy's going to speak next week on baptism. I think it's really going to be important for us to understand what that's all about. But in the New Testament, when people were saved, they were instantly baptized in water. And it makes, um, really, it makes a spiritual statement to the powers and principalities that you've, uh, you've changed allegiance. So anyway, there's a whole lot to it. I'm sure Andy will get into other aspects of it, but, this is my wife, Donna. How many of you know her? She has. Uh, she wants to um, talk a little bit about the picnic. Give us a little bit more information. I think. Yes, Kate. There you go. Okay. Casey mentioned in the announcements that we're going to have lunch that Sunday too, and I just wasn't sure if everybody caught that. We're planning to have a hot dog cookout. And we'll have to get more details to you later. I'll be sending out an email this week about that. But I just wanted to be sure you caught that, that we are planning to cook out that day too. We'll be providing probably all of it, um, but we will let you know the details. So plan on that. Thank you. Well, I have a, a book signing today, which I'm real excited about. And... Um, Actually, you're getting books before you should be getting books because the pre-orders don't arrive till the 28th. Now, those of you who pre-ordered, if you want one today, I'll give you one today if you'll give me the one you pre-ordered later. Is that a good deal? Okay. All right. The name of the book, of course, is Harbinger of Hope, and hope is such an essential aspect of our faith. Actually, the Bible talks about the three great attributes of faith, hope and love, and I noticed over the last many years, I haven't heard a lot of people really talk that much about hope, but um, so I wrote a book on it. In closing, go get the book. No, um, honestly, that book's sort of my life message, and uh, I'm, I'm really e- excited about the feedback I've been getting from people who've already read it. I've had several people read it. And one of the things I felt like the Lord showed me, there's a little bit of prophetic picture, and I'm going to talk about a lot of prophetic things today, and I hope I don't sort of sling you off the wagon, but... Um, This is one of those messages where I feel like if you're going to get the full impact, you're going to have to go back and listen to it again because I'm not going to be able to slow down and explain everything. But it struck me this morning, people that know me personally or come to this church actually get 
the book before people who don't know me personally and ordered online. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me that it matters who you know. And what I mean by that is I believe the Lord is about to do some very major things generally in our nation. But I believe there's going to be those people who get it in advance before the official date comes because of the relationship they have with him. Does that make sense? Um, I was in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and I went to the publishing uh, house, and uh, they took me to Ricky Skaggs. He was he had his um he had his bluegrass band at the Ryman Auditorium, and so we went. And uh, Ricky was talking about uh, these Pentecostal folks up in the mountains, I think of West Virginia. And um, they were all excited because the Lord had moved and they had gotten touched powerfully. A number of them had been filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. If you say Holy Ghost, I like that. Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, depending, <laughs> depending on what branch you're in. But um, Ricky was talking about this woman uh, who was giving her testimony about the Holy Spirit. And she said, oh, yes, we got it when it first come out. <laughs> talking about the, uh, I'm still laughing about that I, you know that's really we got it when it first come out she said like a new radio or something I don't know but uh, oh yeah we got Wi-Fi we got it when it first come out anyway let me set this up today by reading out of the Passion Translation Colossians 1 26 and 27, and I believe we have, um, we have it there for you to read too. Why don't we read this together? Is it, you ready? Now, let me warn you, reading together, words should proceed from your mouth. Ready? There's a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now it's being revealed unfolded and manifested for every holy believer to experience. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. So I'll give you a little bit of background. This is actually message three in a, in a series I'm doing. Uh, I was a number of years ago in a spiritual battle before a conference, and I felt very oppressed, woke up in the hotel early uh, in the morning of the conference, and I decided to go on the offensive. Actually, the, uh, the, our basic spiritual weapons come through our mouths. It's praise. And it's the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And so I took the sword, the only one I could find by memory that morning, and it was Psalm 91, 1 through 4. And so this is a little hybrid translation. It's one I put together over the years of several different, got from several different translations. But I began to say out loud, loudly, by myself, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty whose power, 
No evil foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge. He's my fortress, my God. On him will I lean and rely, and in him will I confidently trust. Surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings I shall take refuge. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. And so that morning I actually quoted this out loud twice because I felt like a release um, from the oppression and after the first time, so I thought I'd do it again. And the second time I did it uh, in this very nice Hilton Hotel, a very nice hotel, suddenly I recognized that there was some kind of duct work hanging out of the ceiling. Uh, which hadn't been there the morning before. And I realized if I jumped into that ductwork, I could shoot right up into the heavens. Now, I know this is hard to grasp, but I'm, I'm in the Isaiah 53 posture. Who has believed our report and to whose arm of the Lord been, re- been revealed? I'm just giving you this testimony of what happened. Um, when I landed in the heavens, I was in a, actually I was in the shadow of a great eagle's wing. And, um, which is exactly what I had been prophesying or proclaiming out of Psalm 91. He shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings I shall take refuge. And when I was in that place, the Lord revealed to me, um, five wagons. Um, and there were five wagons full of blessing. And he showed me that I would understand more about the wagons, um, as I studied the story of the restoration of Joseph to his father Jacob and Jacob's, uh, Joseph's other brothers, um, Jacob had uh, believed his son Joseph had been dead for 22 years. He was not only alive, he was Lord of all. And it's a great picture of the way the church relates to Jesus. We act almost like he's dead when he's not only alive, he's in charge. So there's some great pictures throughout that story. And um, so anyway, I, I saw these wagons. And um, the first one was a wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. I was talking to Don Hardister here recently, and Don said he's told people about this story, and he said when he tells them about the wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences, they get mad at him because uh, a lot of people don't believe you should get delivered from what you deserve, which is crazy to me. It's the only, I mean, that's the basis for salvation. You get delivered from what you deserve, and... Um, the next was a wagon of deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit. A lot of people have grown up under being criticized, and it's, it's uh, affected their identity. And then they become critical themselves, and it puts them at odds with the Lord, and the Lord wants to deliver us from both of those. Then there was a wagon of provision, a wagon of hope, and a wagon of a new vision for the United States. And I haven't said a whole lot about this new vision for the United States but I believe the key to it is um, repentance and reconciliation between people groups of all ways, shapes, and forms. I believe it's really an important part of what needs to happen in our nation for our nation to, to really turn the corner. And um, so if, if you want to know more about this part of the message, um, it really is on our, on our website. But I want to get into, well, in our, the second message I did was understanding hopelessness. And there were a lot of keys in that message that will help you deal with some of the ways you feel about things and how you can make changes and what needs to go on internally so that um, you can be a happier person and so that your circumstances can change 
One of the things the Lord has shown me over the years is a lot of times our outward circumstances don't change until we make um, changes in our heart through attitudes, opinions, thought processes, or belief structures. And so um, if uh, you're dealing with hopelessness, listen to that second message. It's really, really, I think, important. And so today is message number three, and I'm calling it the man of hope. And this, this is one of the uh, most interesting prophetic spiritual encounters I've ever, I've ever had. And, um, just a couple of weeks after the experience I had in the hotel room where I was up in the heavens and saw the eagle's wing and got this whole thing about the wagons, just several weeks after that, I was in bed. I woke up one morning and, um, I, I was awoke on my left side, which is right near the edge of the bed. And when I opened my eyes, I was staring right into this big, cheerful, smiling man's face, which was very shocking because I was the only man in the house. And whether I was asleep or awake, I don't know. Uh, It's hard to tell, but this was so real. And, um, When I looked at him, he said to me, hello, I'm going to be your new best friend. And his name was Charles Hope. So a man named Charles Hope has somehow gotten into my bedroom, really it's a spiritual encounter. And the idea is so potent, we need to wake up to hope. There's so many spiritual insights into this. When I awakened, the first thing I heard was, hello, I'm your new best friend, um, and his name was Charles Hope. So one of the things that's important to realize about uh, uh, types and shadows or prophetic pictures um, or stories, Jesus told a lot of stories. Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about doctrinal things. He told a lot of stories because the pictures and stories are really worth a thousand words. You can get a lot out of them. And the thing about it, I will never forget that man's face. I might forget Romans 15, 13, but I'm never going to forget that man's face. And that's what happens. And one of the reasons God will speak to us uh, other than in our native language through pictures, visions, things like that. Um, and so... I looked at this man and I realized he had on a hat and a sweatshirt. And both of them were inscribed with the logo of the Philadelphia Eagles football team. And then the Lord said to me, this man is a rogue. How many of you know what a rogue is? Uncontrollable person. Where does a 500-pound canary sit? Where does a rogue canary sit? Anywhere he wants to. A rogue elephant goes anywhere he wants to. And so I began to realize, oh, hope's uncontrollable. Um, Then I looked down beside my bed and I saw a freshly paved brand new road that ran right through my room and beyond. Now, let me go back and try to put some sense to some of this. Charles 
means free man or warrior. And what we're going to begin to understand is this um, person, this representative named Charles Hope, is actually a representative of the person of the Lord Jesus. See, the Lord will show us pictures like that to describe to us uh, more about the nature and the understanding of God. And so his name means free man or warrior. So free man hope, who was a rogue, who was uncontrollable, wakes me up in the morning, big smile on his face, and he tells me, hey, I'm going to be your new best friend. How many would you like uh, to have as your new best friend uncontrollable hope that would make you free and a warrior, not just free, but willing to fight for what you know you should be possessing spiritually. Oh, that's who Jesus is, and that's who he wants to reveal himself to us. And he's telling us, I'm your friend, your new friend, your best friend. Oh, man, I go back over here to Colossians, and it says, uh, this mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope. And the thing I've thought about hope, you can be completely broke, but if you've got hope, you're doing better than a wealthy man who doesn't have any. Hope is the most, one of the most essential attributes to cultivate in your life. Not negativity. I've gotten phone calls this week. Everybody's upset about everything. I can't do anything about what they're upset about. I have to be hopeful. I need to believe the gospel. I can't change society, but maybe I can help change you. What is it? Heidi Baker says, you've got to love the person in front of you. Everybody can love the masses and do nothing about it, but we need to practice. We need to develop a life where people want to associate with us because we're ridiculously hope-filled and positive. You know, we don't need to be like Charlie Brown's friend, Pigpen, who's got that cloud of negativity and dust following him everywhere he goes. So the Lord described Charles Hope as a rogue, meaning one who operates outside normal or desirable controls, one who is mischievous, a playful person. I just love that. Lest you come as a little child. There's something about being hopeful that makes you want to goof off. Makes you want to be happy. Makes you want to be cheerful. Makes you want to... I had a lot of hope at breakfast this morning. I know I say some stuff sometimes that is just so funny I have to laugh. I mean, I hear myself say it and I think, what? So I'm, I'm, Don and I go eat at this place for breakfast on Sunday morning sometimes and this one guy always likes my hat and he's got an ugly hat and I've got a nice hat. And So this morning I said to him, just, I don't even know why, just playful. So, hey, you want to trade hats? He said to me, I don't know. And I said, well, I don't want to. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Oh, he didn't want to either. When I realized he didn't want to, I thought, well, I really don't either. So. But he, he really enjoyed it. Now, the hope we have is roguelike. It's so free that no man, no circumstance can control it. It exists for us 
outside the normal pressures, principles, and patterns of our time, space, world. And I will repeat that for you, Twitter monsters. It exists for us outside of the normal pressures, principles, and patterns of our time, space, world because it's embedded in a person, Jesus himself, whom death can no longer even have influence over, and he has taken residence under legitimate believers. And so whether you know it or not, you have an access to this kind of hope. And it's a matter of cultivation. It's a matter of paying attention. So, Charles Hope was a prophetic depiction or description of Jesus, the true man of hope. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Our heavenly hope is an ultimate depository of functional freedom found in the man death could not contain. To be filled with that hope makes us spiritual warriors that cannot be defeated. Oh, my. Thank you, Lord. Now, why the um, Philadelphia Eagles logo? Well, if you remember when I had that five-wagon encounter I found myself in a heavenly place under the wing of the great eagle described in Psalm 91. Well, this man, Hope, was marked in two places with an eagle, uh, which was the logo of the Philadelphia Eagles NFL team. One on his head. He had on a toboggan. It's really spiritual. He had on a toboggan and a sweatshirt with eagle logo. One over his mind on his head and one over his heart. And so this is a prophetic picture of the great eagle and also our access to the heavens. We'll see that in a little bit. That ensures us a constant enjoyment of this true biblical hope. And so hope can, if we let it cover both our hearts and our minds. You see, if you have a sufficient hope level, no matter what news comes your way, you do not have to be shaken. You do not have to... Go into woe is me. If you have the level of hope, God really, really offers us. Now, quite frankly, most of us don't. But I think it really is um, one of the wonders of the Apostle Paul, particularly in the book of Ephesians. He details this remarkable inheritance Jesus has provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And most people in the church world seem to think they're going to get that inheritance when they go to heaven after they die, which is true. But Jesus died to release to us major aspects of that inheritance while we're alive here and now. And an aspect of that is that that sense of hope, that sense of no matter what happens, we're going to come out of this better than we went through it. We may get it wrong. We may be mistaken. We may do the wrong thing. We may need to repent. But at the end of it, we have this expectation that God's going to make this thing work out. God's going to do this better. And the Bible says Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so when you lose your hope, you actually lose the capacity to believe God for things you need to have faith in order to receive. Everybody wants faith. I don't care about faith. You give me this kind of hope, faith is going to jump out of me like a, like a whatever, something that jumps out of you. And so it talks about hope needing, needing to cover our minds. 
coat needing to cover our hearts. Actually, um, it talks about the, in, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the full armor of God. And hope is like the helmet of salvation. It's something that protects your mind. Because when you're hopeful, how many of you get attacked in your mind? Yeah, raise both feet and all four arms. For goodness sake, that's where the battle rages. But we have, we have provision for the battle. We have the truth, the word of God. We have that helmet, that helmet of salvation, which I mean, I feel basically means you may have a very bad day, but at least you're going to heaven if you get hit by a bus. That's a terrible way to put it. But I mean, there's something about that helmet of salvation. There's something about having met Jesus and having an assurance that God is covering your life. Okay, the idea behind Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Eagles, Philadelphia was the name of the uh, of a church identified in Revelation chapter 3. And Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. And the prophetic understanding there is that the love that Christians have for each other as fellow members of what should be and can be a loving, honoring, relational community is the atmosphere where hope is most readily obtained and cultivated and manifested and enjoyed. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus addressed seven churches. Five of them he corrected or rebuked. Two of them he didn't. And the Philadelphia church was one of them. There's something about having a true community uh, of the love of God. Uh, uh, so much is going on trying to drive people away from not just relationships, but church relationships. Now, you can see I'm in the church business, so everybody ought to come to church. But it's really more than that. There's, there's something that happens when we worship together. We, we need to talk some more about worship. One of the ways God imparts more of who he is to us is through worship. And there's something about a corporate impartation of worship that can bind hearts and lives together like nothing else. So let me go on though. Hope is also redemptive. One of the reasons the Lord used that Philadelphia Eagles logo was to speak of his redemptive heart. And the reason it speaks of God's redemptive heart was that um, one of, a former coach of the Philadelphia Eagles named Andy Reid um, gave a quarterback named Michael, Vin, uh, Michael Vick a chance to play again. How many of you are familiar with Michael Vick and that whole dog fighting terrible thing he was involved in? Well, he went to prison. He basically lost everything he had and went to prison. I think he spent two years in prison. When he came out, nobody would have anything to do with him but Andy Reid because Andy Reid could see something in Michael Vick worth cultivating. And so one of the things this Philadelphia emblem speaks of to me is a redemptive heart. You see, one of the reasons people do things they don't have any business doing is they've lost hope. And sometimes you have to give them that hope. You have to show confidence in them that they don't have in themselves. You need to, we need to speak way more encouragement into people's lives than criticism and correction. I know a missionary guy and, and he's not well known, but he's going to be in the missionary hall of fame. 
He spends his entire life trying to find people to put on the missionary, on the mission field and then support them. He's got people all over the world. He raises his own funds. And I saw him the other day and I said, Mark, let me tell you something. You are a spiritual superstar and you don't know it. The kind of things you have done in your life as a missionary are remarkable. You have helped people all over the world. Um, find their calling when nobody even knows who you are. They know who they are, but they don't know who you are. You're going to be in the Missionary Hall of Fame for our generation because you are that awesome. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, yes, you are. You need to hear this. You need to know who you are because I could never do what you do. I'm way too shallow for that. But you have an incredible character. You have an incredible... Well, he got all fired up, and next thing, we raised $1,000 for his mission right there with the three of us in the room. And he bought a computer. He, he, he was... He, he, oh, he was, he was looking in his own personal bank account trying to figure out how to buy a computer for a missionary in Cuba. He's trying to find the funds. And I said, I'll give you $400 right now. And this other guy said, I'll give you $500. And it all came when I just identified how awesome this guy was. I don't know why I said that, but it sure was fun to see that happen. To see people, people get blessed and anyway, moving right along. Okay. Now, Michael Vick was persona non grata. Nobody had any interest in him. Andy Reid did. Andy Reid gave him a spot on the Philadelphia Eagles football team. And Michael Vick actually proved he had turned his life around because there was a man who was willing to redeem his life. Um, Now, I mentioned this earlier, hope is the incubator of great faith. I mentioned this verse in Hebrews 11.1 that faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. So where does faith come from? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You you have to develop this confident, hopeful expectation because it incubates faith. You cannot afford to be negative. You you cannot afford to listen to people who to are upset with the Lord about stuff unless you can help them keep moving. It's so important. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, and faith is our ability to realize in our experience the things we do hope for. You might say that faith gives us real eyes to realize and lay hold of what we are hoping for. Our faith is never going to go beyond our level of hope. Romans 5 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. A lot of disappointing Christians, but hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, let me sort of review this because I think it's so important. Jesus, number one, Jesus promises to be our new best friend in a way that enables us to be so hopeful that we can't be controlled by any negative thing, no negative circumstances, and no bad news. How many of you like that? That's who he is. 
If you let him, he'll develop that in your life. Number two, that kind of hope enables us to be absolutely liberated people, free men. It enables us to be victorious warriors. Number three, God wants to teach us how to, quote, live from heaven above circumstances, accessing all the benefits of our heavenly inheritance. When I saw that freshly paved road by my bed, it related to a dream I had had many years before. And it's, it's remarkable that over the last 50 years, I've had different dreams and different encounters. And oftentimes, um, they, they have a parallel or they have a consistent message in it. And so a number of years ago, before we started this church, I had a dream that I was on a road paving machine and I was repaving remount road. Say that with me. Repaving remount road. Remount road happens to be exit number eight going north on 77. H new beginnings. Why? H's the first day of the next week, first day of the next week, new beginnings starting over. I was repaving remount road. Well, what does that mean? Um, going back to the eagle, but those that wait on the Lord shall do what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Well, the first time you mount up, what do you do the second time? Remount. So the Lord, he called me to build a road, repave, remount. In other words, to begin to proclaim, listen, you can access what God has in the heavens because those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God wants to teach us how to access from the heavenly realm the things God has for us. A whole lot more could be said about that. I just can't get to it this morning. But you're going to mount, then you're going to remount. Eagle soar. Number four, hope protects our hearts and minds like the helmet of salvation, part of the full armor of God. Number five, brotherly love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. Hope grows in a loving community of believers, loving families, loving environment. Hope is obtained, cultivated, manifested, and enjoyed. And number six, hope is redemptive. I like that. Thank you, Jesus. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Our hope is alive. A person in whom death has no power named Jesus Christ, the Lord. Our God is the God of hope. Now may the God of hope do what? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. Then Paul said this one time, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. So, hope, uncontrollable hope wants to be our new best friend. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, this is a little bit of a three-part message, is, um, and I've talked about this before. I guess I've probably talked about all of this before sometime or another, but uh, grapes and raisins, promises and fulfillments, because there's a process 
to developing hope that I think we need to pay attention to. I was having my car fixed down in Columbia, South Carolina. I had to spend the night. Uh, it's the place I bought the car. and So I was in the hotel room all day praying and or doing something. I probably wasn't praying all day. You know how it works, but uh sounded better. Um, I was praying. I was on a 24-hour prayer vigil and no, but anyway, part of what I was doing was I was, um, I was looking at a number of these unfulfilled personal promises I had from the, from the Lord. There are at least two kinds of promises. They're Bible promises, like Romans eight twenty eight. My God shall, um, that's, that's Philippians 4. For all things work together for good for those that love God, the call according to his purpose. That's a promise, Bible promise. But then there are other promises, like, I'm going to find you a husband. I'm going to find you a wife or I'm going to help you or something. In our personal relationship, the Lord will say things to us. And so I have, over over the years, I have uh, personal promises that haven't been fulfilled. And so I was praying. I was saying, Lord, um, I'm just looking at these and um, I don't understand why you would make these promises and then nothing come of them. How many of you felt that way before? Yeah, sure. Um, and so as I was doing that, in my mind, I saw a big scoop in heaven pouring out raisins. Wasn't there a raisin brand commercial that had something like that? Well, I thought, that's, that's sort of dumb. And I didn't immediately recognize it as the Lord. And one of the things I've recognized over time is when um, uh, the Lord can speak to you and you don't always recognize it, and the thought, the idea, the picture will come back to you. And I've seen that happen in my life. And so I couldn't shake that vision, and I thought, well, why don't I pray about it? I was asking the Lord for help. And as I began to pray about it, I began to realize that, first of all, I was praying about unfulfilled promises. Say that with me, unfulfilled promises. And so the Lord said, here's the answer to your unfulfilled promises, raisins. And I'm thinking, I don't get it. So then I began to pray and it's amazing what the Bible says about the things the Lord wants us to know. I realized that grapes are a clear Old Testament prophetic image that represent a promise. If you remember the story when the 12 spies returned from spying out the promised land, they brought back enormous grapes, the grapes of Eshcol, as a tangible promise and proof of the great fruitfulness of the land. And these grapes were so large that it took two men to carry back one bunch supported on a long stick between them. And so... Grapes are a prophetic representation of promises in the promised land. And so then I began to think of, um, well, I thought, wow, raisins, raisins are dried up grapes. They don't look near as good as plump, juicy grapes, but they fulfill a different purpose. In the ancient world, Raisins sustained soldiers in times of war. 
energized people traveling distances who needed non-perishable nutritious food. Grapes only last a short time, but raisins sustain people in dry, difficult circumstances over the long haul. And so I was looking at this, the, the God, uh, how about these promises? And I see these raisins being poured out. The Lord showed me this principle. Promises come like grapes, but they're fulfilled like raisins. And what he meant was when you get a promise, it's plump, it's juicy, it's got like the dew dripping off of it, and woo, God told me this. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. And that great you, you don't see many raisins in um showing up in artistic prints of things. It's always but but the thing is those raisins are the reality of your fulfillment. It's just that it's gone through a period of dryness and testing. And when you look at a raisin, raisins don't make you really hope-filled. But the Lord began to, to tell me that you need to eat those raisins. Eat those raisins until the promise comes to pass. Your promise may look shriveled up. It may look puny. It now may look like there's very little value to it. But promises come like grapes, but they're fulfilled like raisins. Jeremiah said, your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So here's what you should do. You should go get every biblical promise you want to see fulfilled in your life. You should write it down. You should go mark every word God's given you and write them down. And you should go eat them. I knew a pastor years ago told his congregation, you got to eat the word, got to eat the word. And this sort of crazy woman came up one Sunday night and said, I've been eating the word. She said, I've gotten through like, first two chapters of Matthew, but I tell you, it's hard digesting that paper. And he looked at her and said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> There's some level of stupid you can't fix. You realize promises come like grapes or fulfilled like raisins. Now, I want to close here in just a few minutes. I want to talk about, um, I think it's in Second Kings chapter 6 and 7. It's about the four lepers. And they're a real picture of what hope can do for you. And I love this story, but um, the king of Israel and the nation were in a time of famine. There's the time of Elisha the prophet. And... Um, the Syrian army had laid siege to their city and they were causing great, great dis distress. Matter of fact, food was so scarce and so valuable 
that they were selling donkeys' heads for six to eight hundred dollars a piece to eat, and a cup of dove's dung cost between forty and eighty dollars. That's what the Bible says. They were feeding. And some actually boiled their children. I mean, it was a serious, terrible, terrible situation. And the king of Israel blamed Elisha for the situation, sent officers to kill him. And Elisha sort of boarded himself up in this room to hear from the Lord. And the Lord said this, Tomorrow about this time a basket of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. I don't know how much that is. It's not much. And two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And the um, the king's servant heard this, didn't believe it because the famine was so terrible. They had this enemy army outside their gate starving them out. So he said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha said to him, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So they had this prophetic thing going on. Meanwhile, outside the gate, there were these four lepers, and they wouldn't let the lepers inside the gate because they had leprosy. And these lepers were in this hopeless situation between a starving city they couldn't get into and this enemy army. And so as they sat there, they knew they were going to die sitting there. They knew they could die if they surrendered to go to the Syrian army. They wouldn't let them in the city. So one of them said, if we say we'll enter the city, the famine's in the city, we shall die there. If we sit here, we're going to die here. Now, therefore, come, let's go surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, the only thing that's going to happen to us is we die. Here's their conclusion. Why are we sitting here until we die? And that's the first thing hope does. It gets you off your seat. It gets you activated. Go do something. Heard a testimony of a, a young man who was raising support for uh, poor kids. What was uh, something international? What was that? Compassion International. And he was in Puerto Rico somewhere, I believe it was, and there was a woman that didn't have any food. And so she said to her child, oh, go out and get sticks. We're going to start a fire. And the child says, you show me some food. I'll go get some sticks and start a fire. And the mother says, you don't understand. You go start the fire. God will know we're serious. He'll provide the food, which is what happened. In other words, you can't sit there. You need to act. So they stood up. They shook off their fear. They went to the Syrian camp. And when they got there, lights were on, but nobody was home. Their horses, their donkeys, their provisions, their wealth was all there in the tents. But apparently, the Syrian army had heard a noise that sounded like another army that was coming to attack them. So they got scared, and they all ran off. And so you've got a picture here. You've got a picture of four lepers who don't have anything. You've got a picture of a city of the people of God who don't have anything. And right outside the city, they're afraid of a non-existent army who has left in count of a huge amount of food and wealth and gold and silver and animals. But it took these four lepers who were at the end of their rope to get up and actually go do something to find out what had happened. So they go over there, 
And the Bible says that um, they loaded up all the silver and gold they could carry, and they went and hid it somewhere. And then they went back and did it again uh, and hid that too. And then one of them said, we're not doing right. This, oh, hear this, this day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So the lepers returned to the city, and with great difficulty, they convinced the king of Israel that the Syrians had left. They gathered all the food and wealth they needed because it was a day of good news. What compelled the lepers to venture to the camp of the Syrian army when no one else would? Hope. Hope convinced them to risk a violent death at the hands of their invaders for the chance of gaining a life-saving provision. And this reminds me, actually, Jesus could possibly have taken this story and that phrase, good news, to use it to describe the good news of the kingdom of God. Gospel means good news. The leper said this was a day of good news. We cannot keep this for ourselves. A lot of people do not benefit from the gospel because they don't share the gospel. There's something that happens when you tell people more about Jesus. So here we find impoverished and despised men discovered in a moment of time the abundant availability of everything they needed. The lepers described their great deliverance as good news, literally meaning to gladden with good news. It's no stretch to believe that Jesus had this story in mind when he coined the word gospel. The story is such a great picture of the hope embedded in Jesus' message. While fear of an enemy force held an entire kingdom hostage, four lepers discovered that victory was already theirs. They simply needed to walk over and claim it. The king of Israel and the inhabitants of the city under siege are like so many believers today. God has granted us the victory over our enemies. It's a finished work. And yet so many perish from fear of a foe that has already been supernaturally defeated. So... That's part of one chapter in that book. But I want to pray for the restoration of hope this morning. How many of you would like to be prayed for for the restoration of hope? Something more than you have. Why don't you just stand up and um, I want to pray and then we'll close out the meeting today. Why don't, let's, let's assume like a posture of receptivity. Why don't we just hold our hands out? And as we do, I want to read this verse of Scripture over us. Father, here, here's the word that you have given us, and we just want to receive this. Father, open our hearts to receive the fullness of this divine mystery. Lord, this secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now you've revealed it, unfolded it, and manifested it for each one of us who believe. 
you want us to experience this. Lord, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us, embedded within you, becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. So, Father, we ask that a characteristic of who we are is that we're hope-filled people, that we have met you on such a level, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us, Lord, on such a level that hope springs out of our hearts, that we have joy and peace because we believe that your heart for us is for good and not for evil that you have an unlimited source from us to learn how to access part of our inheritance, Lord Jesus, that you died to provide it for us and that you rose from the dead to ensure the accurate and thorough distribution of what you left for us in the will. Father, let that hope come. Father, I ask that the light of the gospel would dispel darkness out of hearts. Lord, that that confusion, that doubt, that anger, that bitterness, that resentment, that confusion, that contention, all of those things, Lord, would be blown out of our hearts and that the reality of who you are, Jesus, would arise and be our portion. And I just pray that, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray that you would send my book to people that really need it. Lord, I pray that um, you would honor, I'm just praying for myself now, that you would honor what I wrote. Lord, that you would honor the things you gave me over the years that could help people. Lord, I pray for the United States of America that you would release like a national repentance, a a national um, breaking of hearts for divisions between, um, Lord, husband, wife, parents, children, owners, employers, races, all of that, Lord. I ask that you would release, Lord, a true spirit of repentance, that we would have an awakening in our nation where people would no longer be accusers but they would be apologizers and they would be encouragers. Lord, touch our nation with that. Touch our nation with that, Lord. Touch our hearts with that, Lord. Lord, don't let us settle for contention and strife and arguments and bitterness, Lord. So revolutionize our thoughts and our minds, Lord, that we'll be the kind of people that can make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Robin. Amen. Yeah, I love Robin. I, there's two quick things I want to say about him real quick. Uh, when we didn't, like my wife and I, when we didn't have a church family or anything like that, I remember Robin when he called me up out of the blue and took me to lunch. And the thing I love about him is he passes on what he's given. And that's that's a great thing about when you write a book, you can just kind of put it all into, you know, a container and, and pass it on. So, um, before we leave today, I just want to remind you of a couple things he will be doing. He'll, he'll be selling the books out there. He's doing uh, credit, debit, cash, um, 
don't come out with you know, $100 bills. Doesn't have a lot of change, but um, it's, we really do want you guys to, to take advantage of that. He will be signing the book, so take a few minutes, get out there with him and get you a book. And uh, we will have ministry teams. Uh, Stephen, somewhere. Stephen's at the book. You guys, okay. So we'll have ministry teams if you want prayer, uh, encouragement, um, any prof- prophetic word, uh, come on down. Otherwise, you guys have an amazing week. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you all next week. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.